Mama. This is Carianna and Kayla, two best friend moms and your co-hosts of Sleep Talking Moms. We know that tackling sleep issues can feel overwhelming and confusing. So we are here to provide you with practical sleep advice. We want you to walk away from each episode with information you can actually use. Let's dive in and talk sleep. Welcome back to season two of the Sleep Talking Moms podcast. We are so excited. Yes. Yay. We can't wait. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about how to keep your child in their room at bedtime. But before we jump in, um, I know that the last couple episodes of our season one, we were missing Kayla. And Kayla, I know you had so much going on and you wanted to share with us a little about what's been going on in your life. So fill us in on whatever you want to. Okay. Um, hi guys. I'm so happy to be back. Um, so I had a whole lot of things just kind of pile up all at once. And so, um, in order to remain sane, um, I had to text Carrie and tell her that I needed to take a little bit of a break, um, because I was kind of drowning, long, I don't know, it's kind of a long story, but um, I'll try to condense it a little bit. Um, My husband and I moved um, back to our, like my kind of hometown two years ago. And um, since that time, I've pretty much been sick at least every six weeks um, with some sort of like lung respiratory issue, uh, which by the way, is a really difficult thing to try to manage during a respiratory virus pandemic. (laughs) Um, and so, um, they've been trying to figure me out. I've been getting a lot of testing done. Um, on top of that, um, Ellis, my oldest, he was educationally diagnosed with autism. Uh, we were expecting that we've known that he is on the spectrum for some time now. And then, um, we took my youngest to his 18 month, I think it was well check appointment, Um, At that time, I expressed my concerns about his uh, speech because he wasn't hitting the milestones that he needed to in that arena. He was referred to early intervention, (laughs) and he is now in five different therapies. He is behind in pretty much every single area that you can be behind. Um, And so that was kind of the final straw for me. I lost it. I mean, Carrie Anna remembers I like, I was bawling my eyes out. I was so sad. Um, Cause it's just one of those, I'm even getting like emotional now. It's just one of those things that you like, you feel like it's your fault. You feel like you should have been doing more that you could, you could have fixed it. You should have fixed it. Um, but that's not always the case. It's definitely not the case. Um, and so I'm raising five different therapies. Ellis is in two different therapies. There's basically almost every week we have at least three to seven therapies to go to between the two boys, um, which is great. I'm so happy that they're in services and that they're getting the help that they need um, and that I'm getting the help that I need in order to be the best parent that I can for them. Um, But just kind of after hearing one thing after another, after another, and just needing time to process, I took a step away. Um, which is totally okay to do. And it was really nice to be able to do that so that I could process, I could cry and then, you know, I could get back up and kick butt again. So, um, 
I am very, very grateful to be back. Well, we're glad to have you back. And I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to, to have some of that time and to speak up and just say, yeah, no, I can't, (laughs) I can't do it this week. I've got enough on my plate and, you know, I need some time off. So, and, and I hope that, you know, you sharing what you're going through, I know, you know, that you're not alone. And so hopefully anybody out there listening just knows if they're, they're dealing with, with some things where they need extra services and, you know, their child just needs that extra little bit to help them that they're not alone yeah and I mean it is a lot um some weeks are really really hard but in general I think you know if you you know you know your mom gut um and so if you feel like something's a little bit off or you have any questions I really do uh, hope that you you know speak to your pediatrician and try um to get your kiddo the help that they need um because it it really has like Imre's talking more now. He counted to 10 the other day. Um, And so I don't know. Um, I just hope that you all, everybody that's listening and going through something similar that you can get the help that you need, um, but also that, you know, you can find joy and those very little moments um, kind of bring you back to sanity a little bit. Well, thank you for sharing, Kayla. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time and, and letting me share it. I appreciate it. But let's get into the big, the big thing, which the is how, question. To, yeah, how do we keep our kids in their bed, in their room at bedtime? And I get this question a lot. If I had to give it a number, I would say, <laughs> I probably hear this question in some way, shape or form. How do I keep my child in their room at bedtime? I probably get 20 DMs a week with some version of this question. It is a very common common struggle. So I thought we could kind of break down um, some approaches, some options you have and talk through them. I I feel like this is especially a subject where just talking through it helps us to reframe the way we think it, because a lot of times we get all bent out of shape about sleep compared to other areas of parenting. And I'm not not sure why, but it, it just happens. All right. So we have kind of two different things that you can choose from. Um, so the first one is the silent return. Can you explain that to us, Kariana? Yes. So the silent return is what I would say is, is one of your two options. Um, this is going to be the option that is a lot more work up front. Um, so basically what this means is your child leaves their room when they're not supposed to, whether that's bedtime or middle of the night, early morning, nap time, they leave their room and you are basically just silently returning them. So the the title is fairly self-explanatory. You're walking them back repeatedly. You're keeping it short and sweet. I, I would try to have an exact script that you say every time. So you're not tempted to be chatty or talk a lot or get drawn into conversation with them. Um, and basically you just want to avoid engaging any more than is absolutely necessary. So this may mean that you're walking them back a hundred times. Honestly, you may have to walk them back a lot at first. And that's why this first option is not most parents go to. (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) Understandable. You guys know how that toddler and preschooler age, they just like, they test and they test and they test and that's their job, right? Like we want them 
best. That's how they're figuring things out. But if you know that you can't outlast their testing and you're not more stubborn than they are, then this one is going to be really hard to follow through with to see improvements with. So I don't know if you can tell, this one is not my favorite option. (laughs) I may be a little biased. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know how many people that you know of or any of your clients that have done that, but that's how, that's how we started with Ellis, you know, like walking him. And I was like, we stay in our room when it's time for bedtime. And then I'd walk out and then he would just follow me out. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, no. And that's when we went to the door monkey. Yes. Is that what it's called? Is is it called the door monkey? It's called the door monkey. Yes. And we're going to talk about that. Talk about that too. Yeah. Cause that's really helpful. Um, I would say I have seen the silent return work with, with some clients. It takes a very special parent to use it. I don't have that kind of patience. Yeah. I I I would end up like verbally berating my child. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 cool. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a very special parent. And I also want to say that there are some kids that this method just will not work with because they, they themselves are just way too stubborn. Like I can think of my own kids with Ethan, my older one, who's a little more kind of more easygoing. Um, this could potentially work with him. My youngest Campbell, nope not a chance ever in a million years that, that this would, would work. This would just be a disaster. Um, so I think that's important to take into account your child's temperament and your own, uh, stubbornness and ability to follow through and stay calm, cool, and collected. Even if you're walking them back a hundred times the first night. All right. So that brings us then to the second option. And that is creating a barrier at the door. And this is uh, the option that I personally prefer and professionally prefer. Um, I just see way more success with this. So this is having something at the door that keeps your child from leaving whenever they feel like it. Um, And I know that this one, sometimes this can freak parents out more. Um, So that's why we're going to talk through it because it it shouldn't freak you out is, is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, As far as what I mean by a barrier, let's talk about a couple options because you have, you absolutely have options with it. The first option I would say is a baby gate in the doorway. You may have to get one of those extra tall baby gates. Um, I have had families before who actually did two regular baby gates stacked on top of each other. Uh, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, get, get creative, but having a baby gate is absolutely an option. Um, Kayla mentioned the door monkey, which is something she uses, something that we've used in the past. And essentially what it does, I mean, you can Google it on, I think we got it on Amazon and there's a couple versions that I like, um, but it, it holds the door in a cracked position. So the door isn't shut all the way, but it's cracked open, but your child cannot open it fully and leave or close it fully. So keeps it in a cracked position. So if you're a little leery about having the door fully shut, but you don't want your child to be able to come and go whenever they please, that's a good option. Kayla, do you like your door monkey? Yeah. So we only, this is, I mean, I can tell you the whole story later, but um, we used it and 
Ellis, my oldest, because we're not anywhere near this ready for Imery. Um, we used it like following the date, the really hard nights of him struggling with the boundary. He would ask us to not put the clip on. He called it the clip. And so I was like, we will have no reason to put the clip on if you don't come out of your room only come out if it's an emergency. So once again, it was like one of those scripted things where I told him the same thing. I reassured him like, okay, if that's scary, then let's make sure that we're following the rules. Um, and so, yes, we used it. We loved it. And it ended up being effective. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing to keep in mind about barriers whatever kind we're talking about, that it doesn't have to be a forever thing. It is more of a learning tool. Um, and I absolutely, with families, once the child understands that the parents are going to hold that boundary firm and put the barrier in place, if the child can't stay in their room, then it can be used more as a, okay, this is a tool to help you stay in your room if you show me that you can't stay in your room. And that can help them stay in without having to use the barrier, you know, but you do have to be willing to use it in the first place in order for them yeah. to understand that process. Yeah. Um, so um, I will say too, just to give whoever is struggling with this hope, Ellis now will open up his door a crack and say, need help, need help. Um, and so he still doesn't come into our room. I wouldn't be totally against it if he did, because I know that he understands the rules now around mm -hmm. what that is. Um, but he, he doesn't come out of his room. He opens it a crack, says he needs help, and then we go and help him and that's it. Yeah. So that boundary he still knows is there, even though that physical boundary has, has moved. Yes. Yeah. As far as other boundaries or other barriers you can use at the door besides a gate or a door monkey, some families are comfortable with having the door shut and using like a childproof doorknob cover on the inside. That's an option if you're comfortable with it. Um, other families, and I'll tell you, this is what we personally did. Other families will turn the doorknob around so that they can lock it. Um, I know that for some people, that's just a step too far for them to feel comfortable with, and that's okay. What I will tell you with our family, we used it with both of our boys when we transitioned from a crib, and you know we did it right away as part of the transition, and so we're going to get into this a little more, but to them, they didn't have any expectation that they could come and go whenever they please, and so I had no issues with holding that that boundary at the door and and just locking it. And I, I think it's one of those things too, if you would like to shut the door or use a method where you can't visibly see your child, just remember that even if they're three years old and older, like still keep the baby monitor. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a video baby monitor in there so that you know exactly what they're doing and you know that they are safe uh, too. So don't think, you know, at any point, like, oh, like if my kid is out of the crib, then they need to not have a baby monitor anymore or anything like that. Just leave it in there and mm -hmm. make sure you can see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that, Kayla, because there is absolutely a safety aspect to this. So if your child is out of a crib and in their room, no matter their age, we need to make sure that that room is safe, you know, so we need to make sure there's nothing in there that's a choking hazard or, you know, there aren't um, 
line cords that are hanging down that they could potentially get wrapped up in. We need to make sure that any tall furniture is either strapped or bolted to the walls. Um, I know with us, we didn't want to bolt or strap anything to the walls. So we just moved the tall furniture out of their room and swapped it out for short furniture that, you know, was not going to topple over. On. That's so funny because I was going to tell you all my experience with Ellis, but um, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and do it now because yeah. it's kind of perfect timing. Um, so the first night that we decided um, we had just moved, converted his crib into a toddler bed, Ellis, um, we did the whole, you know, stay in your bedroom unless it's an emergency thing. Um, he kept going in and out. I, I tried the silent return method. Um, he is a lot more stubborn than me, so that was not effective, <laughs> which led us to use the door monkey. Um, we used the door monkey and Ellis holt out. <laughs> we did not have um, just like you uh, you you all can judge me if you need to. Um, but we did not have anything bolted. Um, it honestly wasn't much longer than we had just moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't have anything bolted. That's not an excuse. It's not an excuse, but, um, <laughs> he pulled all of his drawers out of his chest of drawers. He, um, then he threw his chest of drawers. He like toppled all of his furniture. He threw, he got into his closet. He threw everything. It was a mess. It was a disaster. So we actually had to take everything out of his room mm-hmm. um, for like, I think it was about two weeks until we realized that like, okay, I think we're through the worst of it. Um, but I mean, it was a weird two, two weeks because we had all of his furniture just like out in the hallway upstairs. Um, <laughs> mind you also at the same time, um, and I know Carrie and I will probably end up talking about this this can be a really rough transition when you have more than one child um, because I'm raised on the other side of the hallway. So we had um, noise machine. We always have a noise machine in I'm room. We had an air purifier and two noise machines out in the hallway um, <laughs> because Ellis was screaming and he was hulking out. Um, it was a very short amount of time. Everything was okay. I don't think that he luckily woke Imri up even one time, but I remember just being like, oh, oh, just like freaking out a little bit because I'm like, oh, he's going to wake him up. He's going to wake him up. This is a disaster. And then we got through it just as you do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is the hard thing when there are siblings and you kind of just have to prepare like you were, you know, extra white noise for the time period, but then no, okay my other child may be woken up and that's just how it's got to be. Because if I do everything I can to keep, you know, Ellis quiet, we're not going to make any progress forward, you know, and we're going to get stuck into something else that we don't want to be stuck in long-term. Ellis is not alone there. You guys are not alone that you had to kind of remove some things, you know? So if your child is really struggling with the adjustment, you may have to remove some things or you may have to put things Um, you know, like in the closet and have a way to, to shut or lock the closet so that they're not just like tearing books apart and (laughs) grabbing all the clothes (laughs) out, you know, cause that, that happens sometimes. That's how some kids express themselves. And so you kind of just have to be 
prepared for that. Another thing that I just thought of um, off the top of my head is sometimes you have to do something with the lights. Um, you know, if your child can reach the light switch and is turning their lights on and they're supposed to be off and you know the light being on is not going to help them fall asleep either. Sometimes you have to loosen those, um, what are they called? I can't think of light bulbs. You have to loosen the light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> the word was escaping me. You have to loosen the light bulbs temporarily so that the light switch doesn't work or cover the light switch with duct tape, get creative. And again, these are temporary things that we're talking about while your child is testing those boundaries. And then once they've kind of settled in, you can, you know, go back to normal, put the put the clothes back in the room and <laughs> let the lights be, you know, operated as normal. So yeah, it's going to look real weird for a minute, but then you'll have a kid that stays in their room. So yes. definitely a, a good uh, risk benefit situation. there. <laughs> yes. Cost benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that brings us to just this discussion, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I could like, I just don't know if I feel okay shutting my child in a room and having some kind of a barrier at the door. First of all, I want to say, if you're not comfortable with it, that's okay. No one is saying you have to do it, right? Um, you are totally in charge of deciding how you want to handle sleep. But what I would encourage you to do if you're struggling or feeling uneasy it, this idea of expanding the crib is what has helped so much with, with explaining this to other parents. So when your child was in a crib for the first however many months or years of their life, were you worried that they felt trapped in their crib? Probably not. I don't know many parents who have this fear of, oh no, they're in there and they can't get out and I'm going to scar them. And like, that's not a process that we usually think through. Right. 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 So when we're switching and we're getting rid of the crib, we're really just treating the whole room like it is now their crib. And that's why we're putting the barrier at the door so we can treat the whole room like a crib. And so if you think of it and reframe it that way, I think it helps us see they've always been contained in the crib. Now they're going to be contained in their room. Why would I look at that any differently? That's a really great perspective to have. That's, yeah. yeah, I like that. I like that too. And, and I'll tell you, um, of all of the sleep books that I have read, there is one called the happy sleeper. That is like by far my favorite. If you are a read a book and sleep train type of person, that's the book you should go with. It's really helpful. It covers newborn and baby and toddler preschooler. I mean, it's across the board and it's just very easy to follow. Um, and it's written by two psychologists and these two women in this book talk about this idea of expanding the crib. And I just think it is so helpful because, because there is that fear. Sometimes parents have that fear that, oh, is this going to holding this boundary? Is this going to be damaging to our child? And, and it certainly doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be. So, yeah, I hope that that's helpful. And I, I think maybe one other thing I want to make sure to say on this is, remember, we're not just like randomly one night locking their door with no preamble, with no prep, with no leading up to it. And, and like, okay, I'm not going in there until it's 7 a.m., right? Like if we use a method where we are containing them in their room, we're going to talk about it beforehand. 
We're going to prep them. We're going to show them, you know, we need to have that back and forth with them so that they can mentally prepare for this new boundary. And then also just because you are using a barrier at the door doesn't mean that you you have to just stay out completely the whole night. You could choose that option if you wanted to, but you can also use a range of methods in conjunction with your barrier. I guess the main thing I want you guys to take away from this is not that you have to use a barrier at the door, but I want you to take away that that is a valid and safe option if you need help keeping your child in their room and that it is absolutely loving and okay to hold a boundary. There is nothing wrong with setting a boundary for your child and holding it, you know, and just to throw out a couple other things, because I know with sleep and with rooms, sometimes we get wonky about our thinking, you know, think about the example of your child trying to cross the street by themselves. You would quickly grab them and make them hold your hand, even if they did not want to hold your hand. You would say, okay, we're accepting a meltdown here because we're not crossing the street without holding hands. Like that's just not a negotiable for us, you know? And I would look at this holding the boundary at the door in a very similar light. Same thing with the car seat. Your child may freak out when you put them in the car seat to drive across town, but you're not going to say, okay, well, I don't want them to be contained in their car seat. I don't want them to feel trapped. So, you know, we're not going to go anywhere or we're going to let them just sit in the back seat without a car seat. You're going to hold that boundary because you know that it's important to you. Yeah. So, I mean, to kind of continue on with that, I mean, I think that thinking of this as kind of a a safety constraint uh, Mm -hmm. is really kind of a good way to look at it too, because you're protecting your kid from coming downstairs and, or, you know, going outside of the room and, you know, they could turn on the oven, they could turn on the stove, they could, I mean, there's a multitude of things, even if your house is super, super baby proofed. If you have a toddler, you know, they can get into stuff. (laughs) Um, They are, they're magic. Um, And so just kind of thinking as thinking of the room and keeping that boundary as a safety constraint for them could be helpful too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, that definitely went into our decision um, because we have, we have a pool in our backyard and we have two sliding glass doors that, I mean, now the boys are able to open them and, and they're at the age now where they very much understand the rules, but Initially, when we transitioned, you know, when we transitioned Ethan, he was like three years and eight or nine months. Um, And I didn't necessarily trust that he wouldn't go out there and stumble towards the pool, you know, and so that absolutely played into our decision there, too. Well, thank you guys for joining us for today's episode. I hope this was helpful. I hope this little reframe helped you feel better. If you guys have questions, definitely let us know. Um, This week, I will be talking more about toddler preschooler sleep issues. So stay tuned. If you follow on Instagram or Facebook, um, definitely stay tuned this week for more help. Yay. Thank you guys. We're so happy to be back. Thank you so much for listening to Sleep Talking Moms. We hope you are walking away from this episode with practical sleep advice to get the whole family sleeping better. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a second to rate and review. 
Each review helps more tired and overwhelmed moms find simple and practical sleep advice. See you back here soon.